I'm Chelsea. I'm Deidre. And we're giving you a million murders. So we're recording like, I don't know, three cases today. So <laughs> Victoria's going to be in all the three. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to seem like she's been with us every time for like a month probably. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be like th- like three weeks. But that's okay. Yeah. So I'm going to just jump on in. Um, this is a little different than what I usually do. I found this video on YouTube and it was like... Uh, that's something like EW Crime Storytime or whatever. Hmm. Um, and it's like different episodes. Ooh, okay. And each episode has like three different cases. And it's got good information throughout each of them. So it's not like it's a, this is so-and-so, this happened, and then that's done. Like, it's there's pretty good details in all of them. Oh, okay. So, I'm just going to dive on in. Um, <clears throat> so the first case is going to be... Uh, about Breck Benar. Benar? I don't know if I say that right. Mm-hmm. When a promising young student made a new friend on the internet, he was completely unaware of the fatal mistake he had made. Oh, Lord. In the friendly town of Caterham, in the Tandridge district of Surrey, England. Hmm. If I didn't say any of that right, I apologize. But. If you're not new by this point, you understand. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you don't know, now you know. Yeah. So, Barry Benar and Lauren Lefave, Lefave welcomed their first child. It was a healthy baby boy that they named Breck as a tribute to Breckenridge, Colorado, where the couple met and fell in love. Breckenridge. I thought that was cute. There's a there's a podcast I listen to, and it's uh, The Disappeared. And this guy went missing in Breckenridge, and, like, the whole town rallied and was, like, on it from the jump. So, every time I hear Breckenridge, Colorado, like, if you get, if you go missing in Breckenridge, they'll find you. They'll find you. They'll find you quick, fast, and in a hurry. Well, they need to be doing that everywhere else. I know. Everybody needs to take Breckenridge, follow their lead. So, three years later, the family grew even more when Lauren (laughs) gave birth to triplets. Oh, Lauren Whoa. recalled <laughs> Lauren recalled that Breck adored his siblings and spent a lot of time playing with them growing up. I'm pretty sure they were all girls. Oh. The warm-hearted big brother excelled in school and was popular among his peers. Mm-hmm. He was even a member of the Air Cadets with the 135 Squadron 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 and Red Hill and regularly attended church services in his hometown. Everything seemed to be going great for a while, but then Barry and Lauren separated just six years after the triplets were born. Mm. So after Barry moved out of the home, he remained an active figure in his children's lives. However, there was something dark brewing under the surface of Breck's perfect exterior. Breck's? The sun. Mm. So around his 14th birthday, Lauren started to notice some troubling changes in her eldest son namely that he would isolate himself in his room play computer games which you know how kids are Mm -hmm. for hours on end okay 
So on top of that, his moods were wildly unpredictable. He'd begin neglecting the things that he wants very importantly, or that he once found very important. Important. Mm -hmm. Shit. Like going to church, participating in sessions for the Army Training Corps, Corps, Corps. Corps. Said it right the first time. <laughs> That's spelt wrong. <laughs> As her once vibrant and outgoing son became increasingly irritable and disobedient, Lauren knew she had to figure out what was going on. So these are all classic symptoms of depression. He also had another key symptom of depression, irritability, which sometimes presents instead of the more commonly known symptoms of depressed mood or sadness. Mm -hmm. Irritability is found in the diagnostic criteria of depression for kids and adolescents, but not for adults. Then, Breck started talking about an internet friend named Lewis. Lauren was familiar with the small number of friends involved in her son's gaming club, but had never heard of Lewis before. So, Victoria is looking at my computer while I'm reading, and she's seeing all these misspelled words, and I'm saying them correctly, and she's just looking like, mm-mm-mm. Typos, I don't fix them, okay? Oh if they're little God. ones, I'll be like, nah, I, I know what it is. I know what it's supposed I to say. I can't take it. Because, like, Lauren, it said, what it say? Lauren. Lauren. <laughs> I was like, she's looking. I don't see it in the corner of my eye. She's just looking like, mm, you didn't have that right. <laughs> that was not spelled correctly. <laughs> oh, God. So, call it mother's intuition, but Lauren just felt something was off about Lewis. Mm-hmm. Even speculating that he might not be the young gamer he claimed to be online. Still, Breck's preoccupation with his new friend snowballed out of control and before long he was talking about him all the time and becoming more withdrawn than ever so Mm -hmm. lauren attempted to limit brooke's communication with lewis but he always found ways around her restrictions you know how kids are they find a way yes if there ain't a will there's a way (laughs) so the uneasy mother felt that she had no choice but to call the surrey police and report her concerns so this is important so what I'm about to say, so try to remember this, which, I mean, you will. But She explained to the responding operator that she thought her son was being groomed by an older predator, pretending to be a young boy. She didn't say that he was. She said that she thought, mm-hmm. okay? So, pretending, or at the end of the call, the operator said that officers would check out Lewis, but unfortunately, that never happened, and the inquiry was... Is that how you say Inquiry. it? Inquiry. Inquiry was closed just an hour later. Okay. Dang. Yeah. So on just <laughs> okay. Well, then just lie to my face. So on February sixteenth of twenty fourteen, after a year of talking online, Breck finally planned a secret rendezvous with Lewis. Oh Lord. It would be their first time meeting in person, and he was so excited because Lewis had become his closest friend. Yeah. Lewis had also promised Breck a bright future as the new owner of his multi-million pound tech company. Mm. Oh, no, no. If only Breck knew the fatal mistake he was just about to make. So, the following day was the start of half term, and because Breck was to be staying with his father, Barry, for the duration, he informed him that he'd be sleeping over at a friend's house on the night of the 16th. While Barry was happy to see his son out socializing, you know, instead of sitting in front of a computer. Yeah, he's like, oh, he's doing better. He had no idea that Breck actually planned to take a taxi (laughs) 
and stay overnight more than 30 miles away in Grays. Oh, no. So, Barry waited for Breck to return home the next morning, but he never came. And after multiple calls and texts went unanswered, Barry called Lauren and told her what was going on. Yet, just as the pair was formulating a plan, they were struck with every parent's worst nightmare. Brex, trigger warning. Brex Gaming Club friends had started receiving horrific text messages containing images of a bloody corpse who they quickly realized was Brick. Oh my god. So, let me pull this up real quick. You need to show us a picture of it? No, I got some recordings. So, <laughs> the photos spread like wildfire, and it didn't take long for word to reach Breck's family. With some people even reaching out to his 12-year-old triplet siblings mm. to ask if the photos were real. Mm-hmm. A short time later, Essex police got an eerie call they would never forget. And I'm about to play it. Oh, Lord. Are y'all ready? No. <laughs> Hi there. Um. Okay. Uh, hello. Um, I need police at a forensics team to my address, please. What do you mean? What's happened? My friend and I got into an altercation and I'm the only one who came out alive. You're telling me he is definitely dead? Yes, I'm telling you he's definitely dead. Right, okay, Lewis, I need you to just take me back through that again. So what happened last night? Okay, he was in a mess. I tried again. Right, just slow down again, Lewis. I need to take... I have a pen knife of... Sorry, in my room, adjacent to my bed, I have a, a chest of drawers. I had a pen knife on there, folded. He picked it up, opened it, and then lost control. I... Head knife on the bedside table. Brett grabbed this. Yes. What, in order to harm himself? No, in order to harm me. He opened it and right. I lost okay. control. So, I, yep. in self-defense, put my left arm up to block him from stabbing me effectively. We struggled. I got him to the ground. He got up. I got the knife. Can okay. you, can you not interrupt me with this part? Okay, go on. Okay. This is being recorded anyway, isn't it? Yep. I grabbed the knife. And I stabbed him once in the back of the neck, I believe somewhere near the brainstem. He turned around, tried to carry it on, and I I don't remember exactly what happened, but the fight ended with me cutting his throat. I believe I turned around and I splashed his throat. He fell onto the bed face first. I was, I was trying to compress the wound right, at that okay. time. And Lewis, are you still in the room where Brick is? No. Where are you? This... Don't... Okay, don't interrupt me. Just let me explain this. This is being recorded. I didn't know what to do. I I don't remember what happened after that. All I know is I dropped the knife in my hallway. I stripped down and just sat in the shower. Right, you've left the weapon in the hallway? Yes. And have spent how long sitting in the shower? I, I don't know. Look, are, the, are the police on their way? I can hear They are. They are. I'm um, going to go and do my part. Please, thank you for your help. Right, just listen. <clears throat> She's like, wait, I'm not, I'm not finished here. 
Yeah, like he just was like, "Thank you," and was just like, "Bye." So yeah, see you later. Okay, I've 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 unloaded on you, so now I'll, I'll go. So y'all have any opinions on that recording? Comments. I mean, this is a grown man and a child. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew I know children. I mean, there are strong children. Don't get me wrong. Well, at this point, we don't know if he's a grown man. We still think he's a young kid the same age as Brick. 14 or whatever. Yeah. But, but from the sound of his voice, I'm like, okay. Yeah. When mm. someone's going to cut someone's throat, they're behind them in control. Yeah. Not, or in front of them. But they're not going to go, you know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like you it is weird to, weird to do it from the front. And he stabbed him in his neck near the brainstem. He had to include Yeah, he yeah. was specific on near the brainstem. Like, okay. I'm glad you know that. Because I wouldn't even, like... If you're stabbing I'd be like, I, stabbed I just stabbed him in, him in the, the neck. neck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I stabbed him in the neck. Nothing funny and about that, but... Yeah, and the brainstem part. Okay, so that back there is where your motor functions are, so... How would he be able to flip himself back over and keep mm-hmm. fighting if you stabbed him in the brain, near the yep. brain stem? Mm-hmm. But, okay, anyway. So, <laughs> on. the police were very suspicious of this strange call, as they should be. Um, upon arriving at the scene, it was instantly clear that the brutal attack was one-sided, with zero evidence of an altercation. Mm-hmm. Trigger warning. That's because they found Breck's lifeless body on the floor with his ankles and wrists bound with duct tape. In addition, the 14-year-old boy had a massive laceration across his throat. Detectives found Breck's bloody clothes in a trash bag, and they also uncovered a pile of encrypted electronic equipment under the water in the sink. So he's naked. He's bound up with tape. And there's... These electronics just chilling in water in the sink. Mm. So Lauren, who tragically learned of her son's senseless murder on her birthday, Mm. later stated in an interview, I'm heartbroken and lost without my break, and I will never be the same. He was murdered on my birthday this year, and so much of me died as well. It's like, it's so sad. Mm. That is sad. So who was behind this ruthless attack, you may ask or wonder? Mm-hmm. Well, it was none other than Lewis, obviously. Mm-hmm. At this point, I'm sure some people figure that out. And contrary to the initial beliefs, he really was a fellow young gamer. So he wasn't lying about that. Now allow me to shed light on the unsuspecting predator. Lewis Danes was a baby-faced 18-year-old unemployed computer engineer who spent most of his time playing online games. So, hmm. he is an adult. Mm-hmm. Breck but was not, 14. Not grown, grown. Like yeah, I not grown, not grown, like but a year old man, like I he's thought. of age. So, investigators later determined that Lewis had complete control of the specific server used by the boys in Breck's gaming club. But apparently, no, no, apparently... None of them really knew him. At 16, Lewis moved out of his family home and allegedly became very isolated from the outside world. Then he created an online persona that portrayed him as a multi-millionaire. He started chatting with younger boys, and while they first respected his authority, Breck's other friends grew frustrated with Lewis over time 
saying that he would often mute them on the group chat, <laughs> kick them out of the games. However, they told detectives that Breck's allegiance to him intensified the more they tried to distance themselves from Lewis. Mm. You know, Lewis displayed several psychopathic traits. He was charming. Narcissistic. <laughs> Mm-hmm. He loved being in control. Muting the boys and kicking them off the games was one way he ex- exerted his control. He was also highly intelligent in his creation of a false persona mm-hmm. about being a multimillionaire. Shows that he was a pathological liar. During the 911 call, he displays more psychopathic traits, such as when the 911 operator asked if his friends, or asked if his friend is definitely dead, he. Lewis lets out a small laugh as he says yes. So at times, he's condescending, telling the operator on more than one occasion to not interrupt him. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if he's enjoying himself as he recounts the murder and he shows no empathy for the suffering he was inflict- the suffering he had inflicted. And he is enjoying the power he has over the 911 operator when he tells her not to interrupt him. He even hangs up on the operator at the end, which mm-hmm. we heard. And once again, showing that he is in control of the situation. So, Lewis was arrested on the spot following the discovery of Breck's body and taken into custody. He contended that Breck's death was an accident, but his story had significant holes. As a result, his trial date was set for November twenty fifth, 2014. However... He surprisingly changed his plea and confessed to the killing during the pre-trial hearing. During this time, prosecutors commented on the brutality of time of this crime. Noting the steps, Lewis had taken before the murder, which included buying condoms, duct tape, and syringes. Oh, no. It's likely that Lewis chose Breck as his victim well in advance. Yeah. He saw that Breck was vulnerable and took advantage of that situation. He likely gave Breck privileges and attention that he didn't give to the other boys, which made Breck feel special and therefore more loyal to him. They say Lewis was good-looking, charismatic, and he was idolized by Breck. But when they say he was good-looking, I just don't see it. Mm. So that's why I was like, they say in caps, because I was like, (laughs) they say... He was good looking, but in reality, mm, not so much. He spent months earning Breck's trust only to brutally kill him, achieving complete control. Okay, here's here's Lewis. No. No. <laughs> <Mm-mm>. No. <laughs> what what in that picture is good looking? No. So, yeah. He does look like a child, though. He does look like a child, yeah. but he don't, look like no, he don't look like no cute child or good-looking child. <laughs> Ain't no good-looking child. You know what I mean? Like, Right. <laughs> I was like, uh-oh. Hold up. <laughs> <laughs> we need, need to check that back. <laughs> That's starting to sound wrong. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> Are you a snake? <laughs> yes. Ooh. On January 17th, 2015. On January 12th, 2015. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. On January 12th, 2015, Lewis Danes was handed a life sentence with a minimum term of 25 years in prison. Breck's mother said of the ruling, 
No amount of years behind bars will ever change the poisonous attitude and actions of a psychotic animal who can behave this way. Mm. The crowd prosecutor also spoke to the court saying, The degree of planning and manipulation by Danes is shocking. And when you consider the young ages of predator and victim, it stands out as one of the most cruel, violent, and unusual cases we have dealt with. Lauren and Barry took legal action against both the Surrey and Essex Police Departments for neglecting the reports of possible grooming. Remember when she reported it, mm-hmm. they said that they the police would be on it. They never did anything. You ready for this? Unfortunately... It didn't take long for the Independent Police Complaints Commission, IPPC, to discover that the responding operator was ill-equipped to handle such a call. Why do you have ill-equipped people to handle certain things? Like, I feel like if you're a 911 operator, you should be equipped to handle every situation because there's no telling what you're going to get when you get a call. Yeah. Like, I I don't understand that. So beyond not being connected with a specialist agency, police never ran a background check on Lewis Danes. If they had, they would have seen on his record that he had been accused of assaulting another young boy in 2011. Mm-hmm. Desperate to prevent this from happening to another innocent family, Barry and Lauren established the Breck Foundation, which seeks to create a safe internet environment of minors. Their slogan urges gamers to play virtual, live real. The Bedner family may never recover from the tremendous loss, but they find a bit of solace in knowing their actions may help save another young life. Mm. So that was the case of Breck Bedner. It was really sad, like... Yeah, that is sad. It's terrible. Because kids that age at 14, like, they're just so vulnerable when it comes... You know, because they're starting to feel things and, you yeah, know... a lot of emotions are happening. Yeah. And they're they're just starting to learn how to, like, deal with stuff like that. Yeah. Or start to go through stuff like that. It's really sad. Yeah. And that mom was on, like, his mom was on it. And Mm -hmm. she, like, came through and was like, hold up. And they failed her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was ill-equipped. Like, and it was closed within an hour? Like, what? Crazy. Like, makes no sense. Stupid. So that was the first case. Mm Mm-hmm. The next case is Haley Anderson, and she was a 22-year-old nursing student in Binghampton University in New York. The Shining... Oh, Bingham. Oh, yeah, Binghamton. 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 Okay, look, I forgot the ton. Binghamton. Okay. Binghamton University in New York. The shining fifth-year senior had many friends, and in one of her classes, she befriended another student named Orlando. Don't know that his last name. That's a Deidre question on me. Well, I don't know if it's a typo. I think uh, his name's down here somewhere, so we'll just go with Orlando right now. Um, a twenty-three-year-old Nicaraguan, yeah, native with dual dual citizenship. The two developed a romantic feelings, but Haley made it clear that she wasn't interested in anything serious. Mm-hmm. Plus, she was already involved in an ongoing off-again relationship with her ex-boyfriend, Kevin Ocampo. Hopefully I said that right. Mm-hmm. By all accounts, Haley just wanted to enjoy her freedom while in college. I mean, that's 
any college student unless you're headstrong and like not necessarily headstrong but like yeah unless you just there to get it done and yeah get, out. get it get it done get out yeah. which included dating with no strings attached okay. so many reports state that orlando simply couldn't accept the idea of her dating around Haley's friends recalled him being obsessed with her with one of her roommates reporting that Orlando would frequently come up, come by their off-campus apartment without invitation. Mm. She also said that Haley attempted to distance herself from Orlando, but her kind, trusting nature made it extremely difficult. Yep. So, <clears throat> Orlando's roommate spoke of their relationship, saying, Sometimes they were bickering, and other times they would laugh hysterically, and other times they kept their distance and wouldn't see each other for a little bit. It all seemed harmless, but then in September of 2017, things took a threatening turn. Haley posted a Snapchat video showing that someone had slashed her tires on her car. Kevin, the on-again, off-again ex, had been staying the night at her place, and not so coincidentally, Orlando had allegedly found out that he was dating Haley again the night before that her tires were slashed. Uh Uh-huh. So Kevin said that he told Haley right away it must be Orlando and he wasn't the only one who felt that way. Many of Haley's friends and family felt Orlando was responsible for the vandalization, but he denied the accusations and even tried to blame it on Kevin. So Haley's mom was outraged and encouraged her daughter to file a police report against Orlando. However, Haley realized it would be a felony charge with up to five thousand with up to $600 in fines. I don't know where the 5000 came from. <laughs> she decided against reporting the incident. Her mother believes that she didn't want to be the reason Orlando was removed from the nursing program. Orlando exhibited the following common signs of violence toward a partner. Showing extreme jealousy and possess- possessiveness, but not accepting that Haley wanted to date around. Destroying belongings, such as allegedly slashing her tires when she began dating her ex again. And unpredictably, and unpredictability. Mm. He also exhibited. She's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Sorry. He also exhibited stalker-like tendencies, and his violence escalated over time, starting with allegedly slashing her tires. So they don't know for sure it was him. That's why I'm like allegedly, mm-hmm. which I'm sure y'all probably caught on. So, over the next few months. Haley kept Orlando at arm's reach, but she eventually let him back into her life again. A choice that would soon prove to be a fatal mistake. While we can only speculate why she did this, it's quite common, you know, for victims in this situation to return to the abuser. Yeah. So there there was clearly something about Orlando's personality that drew Haley to him initially, but abusers are not abusive all the time. There are periods of time where the abuser can be quite charming and pleasant, which is something that makes the victim stay or draws them back in after they've left. Yeah. Haley also did have solid proof that Orlando was the one who slashed her tires, apparently. Oh, shit. Haley also didn't have solid proof Mm. that (laughs) Orlando was (laughs) the one who slashed her tires. So she may have rationalized to herself that he didn't deserve to be punished. From the way she's described, Haley is a very compassionate and empathetic person, which could be a factor in why she continued her friendship with Orlando despite the warning signs. Mm. 
Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. So on March 9th of 2018, Haley failed to show up at a planned hangout at a local bar. Now, what I'm about to tell y'all is some Deidre, Victoria, Megan, uh, every other friend we got, this is what we going to do. This is what, this is what we do. Okay. So if you ever come in for one of us, just, just believe you will get caught. So... <laughs> She was unreachable by phone. It was very unusual for her not to answer her calls or texts, and her friends couldn't even track her on Snapchat. See, they don't pull the Snapchat out, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So just, it gets, Oh, it gets better. Mm-hmm. So I'll pull it out in a minute. Now, <laughs> now, instead of calling the police and having them do all the work, Haley's two roommates, <laughs> Josie Arton and Michelle Topoli, sorry if I said your name wrong, took investigative matters into their own hands. While it can take days or weeks for police to obtain cell phone records and narrow down pinning locations, Haley's roommates simply opened the Find My Friends iPhone app. Mm -hmm. But when they did, the young women were horrified by what they saw. Haley's phone was in Orlando's house. And Orlando's sister had already contacted the police that day requesting a welfare check of her brother's home. She said that he left her an ominous voicemail. Ominous. Mm -hmm. She said that he left her an ominous voicemail, but no one answered the door when police arrived, so they just left. That phone message could be key in understanding Orlando's mind on that fateful day. Michelle and Josie, the friends, Mm -hmm. sprang into action. I'm just like seeing it in action (laughs) in my head. And made their way over to to the house. When there was no answer, Josie hoisted Michelle through an open window and then pulled herself inside. Just Mm-mm. They said, we getting up in here, though. Well, this is going to be a trigger warning, unfortunately, but oh, no. they sprang yeah. into action. They wasn't playing. So as soon as she, uh, they got in, she heard Michelle scream. Josie, when she finally hoisted herself in, she heard Michelle scream. Josie called 911. Haley's pale, lifeless body was draped across the bed, and Orlando was nowhere in sight. Luckily, mm-hmm. he wasn't there, because yeah, he could have gotten them. So, authorities descended on the scene and found Haley with apparent bruising to her arms and neck. An autopsy the following day concluded that she'd been strangled and listed her cause of death. If it's, I never can say this word. Asphyxiation by neck compression. Meanwhile, investigators were busy reviewing surveillance footage from outside Orlando's house. Mm-hmm. At around four in the morning, they saw Haley willingly enter the residence. She was never caught on tape again. Mm-hmm. But Orlando appeared several times because she entered the house willingly. It's clear that Haley trusted him, you know, and he completely bro- broke that trust, obviously. And receipts found inside the house show that one of those times were during a trip to CVS where he purchased over-the-counter sleep aids. And detectives also found evidence that suggested Orlando had attempted to take his own life, included a Spanish-written note reading, I'm so sorry for this, Father. I will see you soon. I didn't get that. Then he was seen walking out the front door one last time, carrying luggage 
Police quickly realized Orlando had aborted a plane more than three hours away at New York's JFK International Airport and flown back to Nicaragua. Oh, wow. So you leave him. Oh, he's, he's, he's running. Mm-hmm. He was captured on airport cameras with some kind of large bandage around his head, possibly from attempting to take his own life. It is possible that he didn't actually want to die himself. This is why his attempt failed and he chose to run away instead. Another possibility is that he didn't have access to more lethal means, such as a gun, because he's from whatever. But his attempt Mm -hmm. to escape shows that Orlando knew what he did was wrong. Now, police were dealt the grueling task of catching a fugitive on the run to another country. And some of them feared Orlando had gotten away with murder, but then four days later, Orlando's mother brought him to a local hospital to treat his head wound, and Nicaraguan... I can't ever say this word. Nicaraguan authorities arrested him. He was charged with second-degree murder, but based on his dual citizenship status, it wasn't going to be easy to bring him back to the U.S. Mm Mm-hmm. So, an existing treaty between the two countries stated that neither was required to extradite one of its own. Mm. So much, so much to this dis, so much to this, d- so much t- <laughs> dismay. Is it dismay? Yes. <laughs> I'm like, is that what is that? What's so coming? much to this dismay. Oh my god! So much to so much to the dismay of Haley's loved ones. Yeah. Nicaraguan declined to extradite Orlando as a result. His overseas trial began on September 1st, 2019, and he was now being charged with femicide under Nicaraguan law. Hmm. This charge doesn't exist in the U.S., but represents Hmm. the murder of a woman romantically involved with the defendant. Oh. I didn't know that either. Yeah, I never heard of femicide, so. I think I said femicide. Did I say femicide? I think so, but it's fine. Femicide, y'all. So... (laughs) Prosecutors painted the picture of a scorned college boy who couldn't handle Haley's rejection and let jealousy take over. On the other hand, Orlando's defense claimed that their client had experienced temporary insanity at the time of the murder. Orlando didn't have temporary insanity, as his defense claimed. He exhibited a clear pattern of jealousy and possessiveness when it came to Haley. It was too much for him to have Haley in his life and possible in in his classroom. Because they were, you know classmates mm-hmm. but know that she would not fully commit to him orlando luckily felt that if he couldn't have Haley to himself then no one could which ultimately led him to making the decision to kill her murder was his permanent solution to keep Haley away from everyone else once both sides rested their case the judge took just 90 minutes to reach a verdict guilty of femicide mm-hmm. is that right mm-hmm. orlando's handed Orlando is handed the maximum sentence of 30 years in Nicaraguan prison. In a Nicaraguan prison. Mm -hmm. On February 4th of 2020, Orlando appeared in court once more to appeal his conviction, citing the need for another psychological evaluation, but the appeal was ultimately denied as as if it wasn't shocking enough that a fellow nursing student killed Haley. You know, someone who's supposed to be dedicated to helping others. You know, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Orlando was also someone she trusted and defended. Haley's father mournfully stated of his beloved daughter, she was a kind, compassionate person who always saw the good in people and wanted to become a nurse to help others. 
Haley Anderson was loved by so many, and the swift action taken by her friends say it all, says it all. I mean, they located her body before the police using a popular networking app. Like, yeah. that's us. Like, y'all better. Yeah. That, we coming for you, if anything, if it happens. So just, yeah. yeah. I know I don't answer my phone for y'all. I know. That's why I was just, messaging you the other day. I was like, is everything okay? I was like, <laughs> she ain't dead somewhere, is she? I was like, let me just, I was like, let me just check. But yeah, that case was. But, yeah, that case was, um, terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. But they got justice. He got sent away. So that's always a good ending to a murder case. Yes. Because that doesn't happen often, as it should. Right. So, on to the third and final case. This case begins in St. Augustine, Florida. Mm. 21-year-old Amy Blount, a senior at Flagger College, was out on the town at a place called St. George's Tavern with a group of friends. It was getting late, and Amy's roommate Kelly decided to call it a night. And when she left, Kelly said Amy was still at the tavern with a boy she had a crush on named Sean Nolan. Kelly fully expected Amy to be back at their dorm room the following morning, so she was surprised to find her bed empty when she woke up. It wasn't typical of Amy to stay out all night, but at first, Kelly just figured, you know, her friend simply got swept away in in a budding budding romance. (laughs) However, when Amy failed to attempt her classes that day, Kelly reached out to Sean for some peace of mind that what he told her only intensified her fears. So, Sean is the crush. Mm -hmm. According to Sean, he left the bar at around 2 in the morning with Amy to go for a walk along the coastline. He explained that everything was fine until they got into a fight while waiting for a taxi. And when the cab finally arrived, Sean said he got in and headed home while Amy walked off into the darkness on her own. The young man claimed that that was the last time he had saw her. But Amy's friends weren't buying his story at all. Kelly would later state in an, inter- in an interview, As much as Amy liked Sean, I thought Sean didn't seem like he was really too concerned, to be honest. Hmm. Amy's disappearance was reported to the local police, and Kelly took on the grueling task of informing her parents. Naturally, Amy's friends and family got right to work, tried to retrace her steps, and passing out posters with her, br- with her bright face. Meanwhile, detectives brought Sean down to the station for an interview, and they were instantly put off when his story changed from what he had told Amy's friends. In this different account of events, Sean told police that Amy had suddenly vanished while he was using a payphone to call a taxi. So investigators tracked down the cab driver, but things only got more confusing when he told them that Sean had been asleep on a park bench when he arrived. The driver also ominously said, There was no sign of Amy anywhere. Around 10 days after her disappearance, authorities posted a $10,000 reward for any information leading to Amy. Many tips came flooding in, but only one provided, only one proved valuable, and it came from a man named Timothy Gatchell. He told investigators that he recognized Amy from the flyers and had seen her downtown on the night she vanished. 
but then he said something truly chilling. He saw her get into an older model vehicle with two unknown people. <clears throat> While the shocking new information scared Amy's loved ones, her family was so grateful for the help they actually called Timothy to thank him personally. Okay. So remember that. Okay. Police started searching the area for cars matching Timothy's description, but were getting nowhere. Then a gruesome break in the case came a few weeks later. On New Year's Day, 1991, a man walking his dog in a secluded area of St. Augustine saw something horrific within a pile of logs. It was human bones. Mm -mm. Officers rushed to the scene and discovered the corpse of a young woman wrapped in a floral bed sheet and hidden in a shallow grave. The victim was wearing the same clothes described by Amy's friends that she was wearing on that fateful night and slashed holes suggested a horrific case of death. Although police already expected it to be Amy, dental records confirmed her, her identity and an autopsy revealed she had been stabbed five times. The once vibrant student also displayed bruises on her head and shoulder indicating some kind of violent struggle that had taken place. Investigators turned their attention back to the site where the body was found as it seemed like a place only someone local would know. They contacted the property owner and learned that he rented out two mobile homes on the land. As a side note, he had mentioned that one of the tenants had been giving him some trouble. And when he told the investigators the man's name, their jaws hit the floor. It was Timothy Gatchel. Timothy was a high school dropout who worked random jobs around town and struck many people as strange. Police actually had some suspicions of the Good Samaritan from the jump, but they were put to rest when he passed a polygraph test. So, at some point, I guess they asked him if he'd take a polygraph test. He you know, said yes, and he passed. Although those tests are unreliable, you could call it police intuition, but there was just something that wasn't right about him, said one of the detectives working the case. Sparked by this new development in the case, authorities raced to Timothy's home and found everything from traces of blood, a long hair that matched Amy's to a floral sheet matching the one located at the crime scene. That might have been enough, but they also noticed a small piece of paper with a phone number alongside the name Toby. Police called the number and spoke with Toby, who said he'd been out at the bars with Timothy and saw Amy. So Toby was brought in for a formal interrogation where he, can, where he continued to tell them that he was driving when they saw Amy walking alone. Timothy told him to pull over so he could offer her a ride, and he did. But according to Toby, Amy, Amy will, willingly got into the car, and they all headed back to Timothy's house. He alleged that Amy seemed uninterested in Timothy's advanced, advances towards her, but after going to the bathroom, he went back to his own house and he didn't see either of them again that night. So when Toby saw Amy's face all over town in the following weeks as a missing person, he confronted Timothy, who insisted he brought her back to town later that night. So he told Toby that he took like, her back no, to I town. Took back. I never saw her Just lying. Like. Yeah. So he also said he saw her talking to two men in an older model car. So, what he told the police, he's telling Timothy, too. So, I guess he's not wanting, just to make sure Timothy don't go to the police and be like, hey, this is, you know. Yeah. So, Toby, believing his friend needs to clear his name, urged Timothy to contact the police and report that he what he witnessed. That was more than enough for the police who quickly returned to Timothy's house and arrested him. 
So basically, Toby's the one that encouraged Timothy to go forward, but Timothy lied because he actually killed her, mm-hmm. but didn't want Toby to know and didn't want Toby to go to the police and end up being found out by the police that what really happened. Right. So he initially maintained his innocence, swearing he brought Amy back to town using the property owner's truck after Toby left. Now, that might have been just peachy if investigators hadn't uncovered a major flaw in his story. The truck he claimed to have used was resting in the driveway with three flat tires. Since he had been caught in a lie, Timothy finally started talking about what really happened that night. He admitted to fighting with Amy, but then said he blacked out, and when he woke up, Amy was lying on the floor, bleeding from multiple stab wounds. So, people can black out, like, so he could be telling the truth about blacking out, but, I mean, if you wake up and you see somebody with stab wounds and you're the only one else there, call the police, like. So, Timothy finished by telling the detectives that he went outside and dug a hole, wrapped Amy in a sheet, then said a prayer as he carried her body out to the shallow grave. Thanks Mm. for saying a prayer. Timothy yeah. Gatchell was charged with first-degree murder, and his trial was set for July 1991. Instead, however, he pleaded guilty to avoid the electric chair and was given a life sentence without the possibility of parole. Amy's family was devastated to learn that the person who took her away was the same person they trusted to be helping them. They contacted him and thanked him. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, yeah. Uh. We hope someone will kill him in prison. We wanted him to die in the electric chair, Amy's sister stated. Wow. Yeah. I mean, she ain't shy. She's telling, like... She's like, well, we were hoping that, you know, he'd fry for this. But since we can't do that, I'll just settle for a jail murder. A jail murder, yeah. And that does happen. Yeah. Especially to uh, child molesters. Mm Mm-hmm. So, that was my cases for the day. I hope you enjoyed them. I kind of liked it, how it was. Yeah, how you got like a triple. Yeah, Yeah. because I feel like there was, I feel like there was enough information about things. I mean, it described what kind of person the victim was and what they'd done and what they were doing and, Mm -hmm. hmm. But yeah, that's it. That's all, folks. That was good. Shanks. You're welcome. Even though she was out of sleep that time. Yeah, she always does that to I'm me. I'm awake. I, not every not time. Not every time, but it's starting to be 50 50 now. Sorry. But yeah, it was good. I liked it. So, mm-hmm. I hope you guys enjoyed. You can email us at ameliamurders at gmail.com if you have questions, comments, concerns, cases of your own suggestions things that's happened to you Mm -hmm. and you can go to our instagram at a million murders and look at the people places things everything we talk about in the podcast episodes and you can go to our facebook group as well where we will continue to do our updates and i know the last I don't know which one I'm going to send out first. I'm going to send this one out or the one we recorded before. But I said I welcome the people that joined our Facebook group. But I also want to welcome the ones that are new listeners on our, our different platforms we have. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, 
RSS, Anchor, all that. So. Mm-hmm. Suggestions. We like them. And if you want to give us a a, a five-star review, or, I mean, I'll take a three, but uh, <laughs> yeah, like five's a great good. Review. Um, <laughs> rate us. Rate, follow review, us. and subscribe on iTunes. <laughs> Share with your friends and your families if you like us. Yes. Well, thanks for tuning in. And we hope you come back for... A million more. Bye.